House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry, the Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy over negativity, opportunity over obstruction, people over politics, quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, understanding over ugliness, voting rights over voter suppression, working families over the well-connected, xenial over xenophobia, yes we can over you can't do it, and zealous representation over zero-sum confrontation. We will always do the right thing by the American people. God bless you, God bless the House, and God bless the United States of America. Starting to see why those Democrats like that Kareem Jeffries guy. He's pretty good, in case you missed it late on Friday. From Pacifica Radio in rainy Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, 98.7 in Santa Barbara, 93.7 in San Diego, 99.5 in Ridgecrest and China Lake, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains, KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU, in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ, down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ in Seattle on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Burden Square Radio, Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow says me from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us uh, on another rainy day in Southern California. And this one, before we get to our show proper, uh, some breaking news items as uh, Montecito, California, which is uh, out near Santa Barbara, 
where a lot of rich people live, actually. Oprah lives there. Um, Harry and Meghan. There you go. Duke and Duchess of Sussex, I believe. They have all been uh, mandatory evacu- uh, evacuations now. 10,000 residents or so out of Montecito. Desi Doyen, what, what do we know uh, about this uh, unceasing rain that we're having now in Southern California and, uh, and Northern California as well? Oh, indeed. Yeah, it's, it's a series of storms of atmospheric rivers that have hit the state of California over the last uh, two weeks, and it is not over yet. So as you mentioned, all of Montecito has been ordered to evacuate, um, including the surrounding canyons because of the deluge of rain. It has flooded roads and swollen waterways, um, and it affects uh, about... uh, And this is the weird part, is that it comes on the fifth anniversary of that mudslide that killed 23 people and uh, destroyed more than 100 homes in the coastal community of Montecito. So Santa Barbara County Sheriff Bill Brown said that the decision to evacuate came, quote, based on the continuing high rate of rainfall with no indication that it is going to change before nightfall. Uh, Montecito Fire Chief Kevin Taylor said that at least eight inches of rain fell in 12 Hours. Eight inches of rain in 12 hours. And there's more rain expected. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's, it's pretty bad. And further up the coast, evacuation orders have been issued in Santa Cruz County for about 32,000 people, also mm. because of flooding. Mm-hmm. And, um, boy, it's bad. A Biden, President Biden has also mm-hmm. issued an emergency declaration to more than a dozen counties in California, including Sacramento County, Santa Cruz County, Los Angeles County, and others. And that is to support the storm response and relief efforts. It is bad out there. Be careful uh, in the uh, on the West Coast here, uh, up and down the West oh, Coast, and in, really, and but also I in Southern part, California. Yeah. Parts of northbound Highway 101 are also closed around Santa Barbara, so motorists beware. Be careful out there, and this is going to continue, I am told, for another two weeks or so on and off rainstorms uh, along these lines. So uh, do be careful because the ground is already really well saturated, which is um, uh, leads to uh, all kinds of uh, rock slides, mudslides, and other dangers out there. Yes, uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom has asked people to just please stay home because the rain is going to continue at this point. It looks like we're going to have a couple more of these atmospheric rivers through as long as January 18th. Stay home as long as you're not in Montecito or Santa Cruz or one of the other uh, mandatory evacuation areas. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Uh, as as noted on our uh, previous broadcast last Last Friday, January 6, 2023, not a single House Republican lawmaker had time to show up to a memorial service led by House Democrats on the steps of the U.S. Capitol. For the law enforcement officials who gave their lives defending the U.S. Capitol on January 6, 2021, the second anniversary uh, was last Friday of that uh, insurrection, that Trump incited GOP insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. They did not show up. Not a one Republican that anyone has been able to identify to date uh, showed up for this memorial event, which was meant to offer recognition for those police officers who died defending the Capitol, as well as more than 140 officers who were critically injured that day. Naturally, during his acceptance speech late, late on Friday night, early into Saturday morning, uh, Kevin McCarthy pretended to give a damn about law enforcement officers. It's a commitment for a nation that's safe, where communities are protected, 
law enforcement is respected and criminals are prosecuted. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did find time to celebrate their uh, the election of their new House Speaker after four days of trying and failing and then finally succeeding to get a majority of those voting to support Kevin McCarthy of California as their next House Speaker. He was, of course, just kidding about that, uh, you know, respecting law enforcement stuff. If he cared about law enforcement officials, he would care about holding those who violently and physically attacked law enforcement officials two years ago to account for having done so. He wouldn't be talking as his caucus in the House currently is about, well, defunding the police. In this case, both the FBI and the law enforcement officials at the IRS. But without accountability for what happened two years ago on January 6th, more such actions, of course, have and will follow. We saw as much in Brazil, of all places, over the weekend after its democratically ousted far-right president, Jair Bolsonaro, was you know, ousted through an election several weeks ago, and then he went on to visit Mar-a-Lago on Friday. He reportedly remains in Florida as his Trumpist Bolsonaro uh, uh, supporting January 6th type siege of government buildings played out on Sunday. In response, here in the U.S. on Sunday afternoon, the president of the United States, Joe Biden, condemned the attack, tweeting, quote, I condemn the assault on democracy and on the peaceful transfer of power in Brazil. Brazil's democratic institutions, he wrote, have our full support and the will of the Brazilian people must not be undermined. I look forward to continuing to work with. And then he used the Twitter name for the newly elected and inaugurated Brazilian president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, known simply as Lula by his countrymen. Democratic Senate leader Chuck Schumer similarly decried the MAGA-style insurrection in Brazil, tweeting, quote, everyone must stand up and condemn, condemn the attack on Brazil's Congress, presidency and Supreme Court, which was trashed. He said, we stand with democracy and with the people of Brazil against the demagogues who deny election results. That was Democratic Senate leader Chuck Schumer. Uh, also, the Democratic House Minority Leader, Hakeem Jeffries, who you heard there at the top of the show, who gave one hell of a speech on uh, in the early morning hours on Saturday as he introduced the new Republican Speaker of the House, demonstrating how the peaceful transfer of power is supposed to work. Hakeem Jeffries tweeted in response to Brazil, quote, the violent attack on the heart of the Brazilian government by right-wing extremists is a sad but familiar sight. We stand with the people of Brazil and democracy. Now, as of the last time I checked, just before airtime, uh, while the entire Democratic leadership had condemned the attack on Brazil's democracy and the peaceful transfer of power, Almost an entire day later now at this point, we have yet to hear one word about it from newly elected Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Apparently, he's fine with it. Also true for Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. 
Haven't heard a word from him about what's going on in Brazil. Have not heard from the leading contender for the 2024 presidential nomination and apparent leader of the Republican Party, Donald Trump, who hosted the losing Brazilian president and the leader of the insurrection, Bolsonaro, at his home on Friday in Florida. Suggesting at this point that Republicans simply do not care about democracy, either at home or abroad, at least not anymore, period, end of sad story. Now, I don't know how many of you stayed up uh, late on Friday night after we got off air from that day's broadcast, but boy, was it a doozy uh, when the House reconvened for their late night session on Friday to hold what became their 14th and finally their 15th vote for House Speaker with the first vote that night, the 14th over the week, uh, being the one that was supposed to finally put Kevin McCarthy over the top for his uh, long-sought bid as Speaker, only for that moment in the sun to be foiled again by two present votes from Lauren Boebert of Colorado and Matt Gates of Florida, which left McCarthy one vote shy, actually half a vote shy, of the majority of votes that were needed from those present and voting. It was quite the stunning drama in truth, uh, with a fist fight on the verge of breaking out at one point with uh, one Republican member, Mike Rogers of Alabama, having to be physically restrained during a confrontation with Matt Gates, all playing out on January 6, exactly two years after the insurrection and the violence that broke out at the Capitol that day. We warned you at the beginning of the last week. That you would need plenty of popcorn to get through it. Hopefully you took our advice. Uh, I do hope to open the phone lines, if possible, today at 818-985-5735 on any of the many stories I hope to try and plow through here today regarding the new 118th Congress that is now finally underway after selecting its speaker to some new developments in the quest for accountability today for the former president's Many attempted but happily failed efforts to steal the 2020 presidential election. If you're in our live listening area in Southern California and you still have electricity and you haven't been mandatorily evacuated from your home, or if you're listening uh, to us on the web stream from anywhere across this globe and you'd like to queue up right now for our first open lines of the new year, that number again is 818-985-KPFK, 818-985-5735. But let's start in the House as to how Kevin McCarthy finally got the votes on the 15th and final round of voting. It was, in fact, as it turns out, the fifth longest speaker vote in American history. None has gone to this many ballots, 15 in total, since 1819. But as the good Sahil Kapoor of NBC News, he formerly, by the way, was a, uh, a reporter for the progressive Raw Story outlet, uh, he explained after four days of deadlock and embarrassing defeats, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy finally carved out a path to placate a faction of so-called rebels from his own party to secure the top job early Saturday with promises that could come back to haunt him. Now, I would argue, I will argue, in fact, um, that, well, that what he gave away absolutely will 100 percent come back to haunt 
uh, both him and the nation and potentially the entire globe. On this, uh, well, his, his comments about these uh, rebels, well, McCarthy flipped 14 of his holdouts and convinced the rest to stand out, securing the election as the 53rd Speaker of the House on the 15th ballot after overcoming a last-minute wrench that scuttled his plans on the previous ballot. In doing so, he made a series of concessions that weaken the power of his office and expand the clout of far-right members of the House Republican Conference, which could complicate his job of governing under a wafer-thin majority, writes Sahil. Now, I I take exception here with him calling them far-right members of the House Republican Conference, since virtually every member of the conference right now is far-right. And referencing, you know, just some of them that way, just giving some of them, that sort of gives the rest of them a get-out-of-jail-free card. In some cases, literally. You know, to the rest of the already far-right conference. You know, the ones who could not be bothered to condemn a coup against the peaceful transfer of democratic power, whether it be in Brazil or here in the U.S., and the ones who couldn't be bothered to join a brief service commemorating those who risked and or lost their lives in the process of defending them, those very Republican officials, against such an attack just two years ago. McCarthy's team ultimately presented the so-called rebels with a framework of House rules changes and other promises that would appease the group and that ultimately prompted six House members to vote present, crucially lowering the threshold for a majority needed and paving the way for McCarthy to gain the speakership. The Republican rules package released on Friday includes at least some of those concessions. It will allow any one member to force a so-called motion to vacate the speaker's chair, a motion that would require a, a snap vote of sorts, allowing members to, yes, overthrow McCarthy as speaker at any time. The new rules also make it harder for the House to raise spending and taxes and critically here, the debt limit, the amount of money that the nation needs to borrow in order to pay for the stuff that Congress and the president including the Republican Congress, including Republican presidents, have already approved and purchased. Two sources with knowledge of the situation told NBC News that the far, far right extremist House Freedom Caucus has also demanded three seats on the powerful Rules Committee, which controls the bills that are even allowed to make it to the House floor. While some have sort of freaked out about the additions of these extremists onto the Rules Committee, remember, that can only be made possible by the addition of several additional Democratic members to that panel as well. So that may well even out. We'll see in any event. Perhaps that's more of a Pyrrhic victory for those uh, extremist Republicans than some in the media have been presenting it. We will see. The deal is poised to enhance the power of far-right Republicans at the expense of so-called moderates. Again, Sahil, not exactly the right word there, but these so-called moderates uh, who want to advance legislation that could win the approval of a Democratic-controlled Senate and of President Joe Biden. It could make McCarthy's task of passing must-do bills 
like funding the government to lift the debt ceiling much, much harder under a slim majority if Republicans can effectively force out the speaker at any time they want to with a snap motion to vacate. Still, the uh, more so-called moderate or mainstream Republicans put up little resistance to the pact that the party leaders agreed to late on Friday, with some accepting it as the cost of doing business under these narrow margins. In other words, and keep this in mind, please, when we get to the fight over raising the debt ceiling, the, the borrowing limit, a requirement that if we do not do, the U.S. government will for the first time in history actually default and likely uh, lead to a, a recession in both this country and, frankly, around the globe. Keep all of that in mind when we get to that fight and keep those so-called Republican moderates and their claim that they had no control over this issue here when they could have said, no, we are putting our foot down on this or that. Well, they allowed it all to happen. They knew about it. They put up no fight to block it from happening. They will be as responsible as the so-called far-rightists. As uh, Manu Raju uh, broke the news on CNN about this uh, debt ceiling agreement as the battle raged last week, one very important thing he said that was part of the deal is dealing with raising the national debt limit. He just told the group of us that they addressed this issue. This is going to be a major, major flashpoint in the new Congress. They have to avoid a debt default, and that's going to happen sometime this year, maybe in the middle of part of this year. He said there's some agreement on how to deal with that. One thing he said is they would not agree to a clean debt ceiling increase, meaning they need some conditions tied to avoid a national debt default, which has never happened in American history. So that is going to be a huge fight going forward. But it, from what Scott Perry just told a group of us, that was part of this deal that apparently was reached between a handful of these holdouts and Kevin McCarthy. So this deal, not just process, giving them more leverage over the speaker, that being able to oust a sitting speaker with one individual doing that, having more members of those hard right Freedom Caucus on some of the key committees, but policy implications as well in dealing with the national debt ceiling. Big, significant issue going forward. So, uh, yeah, that's just part of what we're going to see going forward. We're going to talk more about what we will see, what was agreed to in this package to make all of this happen going forward uh, in the days and probably months ahead at this point. And if we're going to blame the moderate Republicans, so-called moderate Republicans, for not taking action to prevent some of the giveaways that Kevin McCarthy was willing to do in order to get his – uh, you know, long desired seat as Speaker of the House. Well, we should also arguably blame Democrats when this comes around, when this uh, debt ceiling fight comes around. The Democrats who did not find a way to raise that debt limit when they had a chance in advance during the lame duck session of the last Congress, the 117th, when they had, yes, the barest of majorities in both the House, in both houses of Congress. Uh, after the November election and before the session ended at the end of last year. There will be plenty of blame to go around, I suspect, if such an occurrence happens around September or so of this coming year. So just offering a heads up here. Democrats say the reported concessions will make the House ungovernable and cause crises. They are likely correct. With what we're seeing, former House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said in an interview on Friday, 
Uh, what we're seeing is the incredibly shrinking speakership. It is not a good thing for the House of Representatives, she argued. We are the people's house. We have to negotiate with the Senate. We have to negotiate with the White House. And instead, we are diminishing the leadership role of the House. The reason these people want to be on the Rules Committee is that they want to screw things up for McCarthy, said uh, Jim McGovern, a Massachusetts Democrat. He was the most recent Rules Committee chair. He said that putting three Freedom Caucus members on the panel, which is typically split seven to four between the parties, could thwart the new speaker's ambition. He said that McCarthy has, quote, given everything away, including his dignity to try to become speaker. And if he becomes speaker, which he has by now, his nightmares are just beginning, as have all of ours. He thinks this is bad, said McGovern. He ain't seen nothing yet based on what he's giving away. As TPM's Josh Marshall smartly summed it up on Twitter on Friday, quote, beyond the storm, Big picture is that McCarthy just signed the country's fate over to a couple dozen crooks who will try to bury it. Congressman Matt Gates of Florida said at one point on Friday, quote, I'm very optimistic about where we are right now, arguing that the rules changes that the uh, holdouts forced to uh, McCarthy to give them. Uh, and his uh, allies, quote, it gives them, said Gates, quote, a functional straitjacket. And he said it helps democratize power, which is a very funny way, frankly, to characterize democracy when a tiny minority can hold up the wishes of the majority of both houses of Congress and the White House and, frankly, the wishes of the American people. But that is where we begin the finally first week of the 118th Congress following Speaker McCarthy's late, late night acceptance speech uh, on Friday, January 6th and into the early morning hours on Saturday when he explained uh, the GOP plans to, yes, defund the police. In this case, the funding for the uh, IRS agents to replace retiring agents over the next decade and as the party begins endless so-called investigations into all manner of things that they pretend need investigating. I know the night is late, but when we come back, our very first bill will repeal the funding for 87,000 new IRS Now, speaking of committees, we will hold the swamp accountable from the withdrawal of Afghanistan to the origins of COVID and to the weaponization of the FBI. <laughs> Let me be very clear. We will use the power of the purse and the power of the subpoena to get the job done. <laughs> the weaponization of the FBI. I'll get to that in a minute. Former Republican House staffer, now turned Democratic strategist, Kurt Bardella had some thoughts in response to McCarthy's reference to subpoenas in his uh, speaker's acceptance speech on Friday night. I think this might be the first speaker's acceptance speech that actually uses the word subpoena in it. 
Uh, and I think that we're going to see pretty quickly, as soon as they get through with the rules package on Monday, they're going to pivot and go hard on investigations. That's the one thing that really unites the Republican caucus here is this zeal, this lust, this thirst to start using the tools and instruments of oversight to go after the Biden administration. They, they've not made it the secret since the moment that they won the majority. They have gone out there very publicly, particularly the chairmen of Judiciary and Oversight, James Comer and, and, and Jim Jordan. And they have made it very clear that this is agenda item one, two and three and that they are going to be relentless in hounding the Biden administration. And I think that they've made the calculation that the best thing they can do for their own PR optics after this bruising battle and all this narrative about dissension is to go out there and start issuing subpoenas as soon as humanly possible. I guarantee you, as someone who used to work at the House Oversight Committee for Republicans, those subpoenas are already written. Those letters for document requests are already written. The first hearings that they want to have are already prepared. They are ready to unleash the hounds on the Biden administration, and they need to do that as soon as possible because they want the media to chase those stories to make that the central narrative of what we're all talking about. They want to put the last four or five days in the rearview mirror, and the best way they think they can do that is to go on offense by going after the Biden presidency. Good, good. Let them. Let them try. I know a lot of Democrats, for some reason, are kind of freaked out about this. Oh, they're going to investigate this and that and this and that. Uh, well, who cares? Let them investigate all they want. If they find crimes, fantastic. Great. I want to expose crimes. But if they find stuff and nonsense, as I suspect they mostly will, I would like to think that they will be exposed for those failures to find anything. Now, of course, the difference here is that we have, uh, you know, a lousy corporate media and a right wing that is willing to simply lie about what the facts and the evidence actually show. I'll give you one example. If you followed any of the so-called Twitter files nonsense that's been going on lately, you know that many on the right and unfortunately too many that I have heard from on the left who are gullible enough to fall for it seem to believe that these so-called Twitter files show evidence of this so-called weaponization of the FBI, that there's evidence somehow in, in these files that the FBI, uh, as, as one person via email in, in recent days told me, uh, reveals that, quote, Twitter was paid by the FBI to practice censorship by the government and ban the government, ban the people that the government did not like, unquote. Oh, yeah. And, and it, as I said, nuts. it's not That's just not true. It's just it's not only folks on the right. I've heard this from uh, folks on the left who apparently do not know how to read or they do know how to read, but they only know how to read the characterizations of what has been reported about the actual evidence that these folks apparently did not bother to read because it does not show that the Twitter that uh, Twitter was paid by the FBI to censor uh, by the government and to ban people that the government does not like. Sorry, the evidence is simply not there. So let them investigate all they want, but let us not lie about what it is they are finding or not finding. Because that claim about, you know, the FBI paying the government to censor people. And by the way, that was the Donald Trump government, Donald Trump's FBI. Just pointing that out. Uh, the statement is 100 percent stuff and nonsense and untrue. But sadly, folks on the right and a few too many on the left, as I have seen, are willing to buy into that stuff and that nonsense because they did not read the actual evidence. It's not enough to claim something happened. 
something serious like that happened, even when the evidence reveals, in fact, the exact opposite. So that will uh, not be fun over the next year or two and uh, to have to explain. And my apologies in advance if I'm forced to waste your time uh, and mine explaining what the evidence actually shows when the liars and the cretins claim the opposite of what is demonstrable and independently verifiable evidence. Our phone number is 818-985-KPFK. Uh, I want to take a quick break and we'll come back uh, to some of your calls. But I do have uh, something else, some uh, breaking news today on um, more trouble for Donald Trump as things move closer to an indictment for the former president. So let me before I go to a break uh, and come back with some of that stuff and more of your calls. Let me do one call here. Matt in San Luis Obispo. Uh, Our phone number, by the way, 818-985-KPFK. Hey, Matt. uh, Happy New Year. Welcome to the broadcast, sir. What is on your mind, my friend? Yeah, thanks. Happy New Year. Uh, yeah, with the um, McCarthy, Joseph's um, grandson. No, he is not, he is not right. Joseph's grandson, but go ahead. <laughs> yes. In, in spirit. Uh-huh. Um, anyhow, yeah, I, oh my Lord. I think this is going to be frightening, but what I hope is that they tear their own kabuki curtain down to, you know, it's going to be such dysfunction. It is such a monkey show of Trumpledites, and I, I hope it reveals, the public can be very reactionary, so I hope it reveals to, um, I don't think the, the hardcore Trump fans are going to change, but, you know, for those who maybe have a bit of a frontal lobe, <laughs> so, for my hope. All right. Uh, hope's heard. Thank you, Matt. And uh, wish us all luck on that. And again, uh, Happy New Year, my friend. 818 985 KPFK is our phone number. I'll, I'll point out uh, just one, uh, one more notion before we get here to uh, where did I put this? Before we get to the uh, quick break, uh, uh, the prominent Republican whose phone, one of the prominent Republicans whose phone was seized as part of the Justice Department's ongoing probe into the efforts to steal the 2020 presidential election, said on Sunday that he may seek to participate on one of the new House committees that will investigate those same federal investigators. Uh, So this is Congressman Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. He is chair of the House Freedom Caucus. He's a longtime ally of Donald Trump. He helped spread the Trump's false claims about the 2020 election being stolen. Uh, He is being investigated by the FBI and believes it is not somehow a conflict of interest for him to sit on the House panel that is itself now going to be investigating the FBI's investigation of Scott Perry. In which he is a material witness. Yep. So that's How convenient. A, that's the sort of fun that we have to uh, to look forward to. I'm okay with it. By the way, Scott Perry is uh, one of the folks who introduced uh, Jeffrey Clark, if you if that name rings a bell, to uh, to Donald Trump himself. Clark tried to get himself installed as the acting attorney general in the closing days of the Trump administration, so that he could send letters to false letters to state legislatures 
in swing states falsely claiming that the DOJ had found fraud in the 2020 election when they hadn't. And Trump only decided against appointing Clark as acting attorney general when the entire leadership of the DOJ said that if he does that, they will all resign en masse. As it turns out, by the way, Clark's phone was also seized by federal agents last summer, meaning that both he and Scott Perry, who now wants to investigate the FBI's investigation of him with subpoena power to do so, uh, they are at the very least witnesses in that particular FBI probe and uh, where they could be indicted themselves. That's into the January 6th matter. That's separate from the other federal investigation into Donald Trump's stolen documents that he lied about and stored at uh, stole from the White House and stored down at Mar-a-Lago. So uh, all of this uh, still remains ahead. More on the ongoing investigation of the former president, along with your calls and, if time, some new news today on the state criminal investigations into Donald Trump's criminal election fraud conspiracy in two separate swing states. If time allows, after this quick break, as the new session of Congress and all of that, uh, all that comes with it uh, is only just beginning today. I'm Brad Friedman, and you are listening to the broadcast. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the broadcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. Good trouble, I hope. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Our phone number here is 818-985-5735, 818-985-KPFK. If you want to ring in on anything after the uh, in our first uh, phone segment of the new year, we'd love to hear from you, 818-985-5735. Uh, quickly, a couple of stories uh, about some trouble for the former president. The Michigan attorney general said on Friday there is, quote, clear evidence to pursue charges against pro-Donald Trump Republicans who falsely claimed they were the state's presidential electors in 2020, despite Democrat Joe Biden's 154,000 vote victory in the state of Michigan. State Attorney General Dana Nessel referred the matter to federal prosecutors last year to the feds, but no public action has been taken by them. And a year later, she said it's time for the state authorities to get back into this. The Democratic AG in Michigan said, quote, let's be fair about what this is. It was an effort to overturn a lawful election. And let me be even fairer. Dana, uh, or at least be clear, it was an effort to steal a lawful election. It was nothing less than that. 
said Nessel, that type of activity cannot go without any consequences. There are laws that specifically speak to their actions. I plan to reopen the investigation. In December of 2020, Michigan's electors lawfully cast 16 votes for Joe Biden, but a separate group of Trump's electoral college candidates claiming to be the true electors tried to enter the state capitol. The federal government notified the state that it had received unofficial signed documents, signed certificates from the GOP electors. The group, by the way, included the co-chair of the Michigan Republican Party, the group that signed these phony certificates. Invalid certificates were also mailed to the U.S. Senate, the Michigan Secretary of State, and a federal court in western Michigan, all of them faked by Republicans. Citing the work of the Bipartisan House Committee investigating the 2021 post-election insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, or at least the committee that was doing so, I understand the Republicans now having taken over Congress have removed a bunch of documents from the congressional website on that and on Donald Trump's taxes. Um, citing their work, however, Michigan Attorney General Nessel said, quote, there is clear evidence to support charges against those 16 false electors. In response, the state Republican Party accused the attorney general of engaging in political theater and using tax dollars to, quote, perpetually persecute her political enemies. If by persecute, you mean investigate People who broke the law, since you claim to care about crime and stuff, well, then sure, she's persecuting them. Nessel said on Friday, I don't know what the federal government plans to do. Perhaps they are going to move forward, and I hope that they do, she said. But I think it's important uh, that a couple years later, there be some accountability. Could not agree more, Madam Attorney General. And Godspeed to you. 818-985-5735 is our number. 818-985-KPFK. In in, uh, quite related news. Actually, let me hold that uh, related news. Let me get to another caller here. Let me go to Mike in L.A. Hey, Mike. Welcome to the broadcast. Happy New Year, sir. Same back at you. Thank you, brother. What's on your mind? If those uh, fake election ballots were mailed by a U.S. mail, wouldn't that be use of the U.S. mails to defraud a serious criminal offense? But anyway, I'm, I'm no lawyer, but I would think you. I, I would think you were right, Mike. Yes. Yeah, it's uh, just I have a, a prediction for the coming. Two- oh no! Did did we lose Mike just now? I think we did. Give us a call back, Mike. Uh, what what we we have them still? All right, hang on, Mike. Yeah, hello. There we go. Okay, sorry. I think Desi knocked you off. She will be fired later, That's as usual. Okay. Go ahead. Well, she's used to it. Yeah, she's used to it. I just wanted to say that uh, my prediction for the coming two years of the McCarthy uh, House uh, administration and its success in draining the swamp will be today the magnetometers, tomorrow the Magna Carta. Mm, well done. Somebody ought to give that man a job. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate the call. Good to hear from you. Glad you're doing well. Hope you're staying dry today. 818-985-KPFK. 
818-985-5735. I know a lot of folks are trying to get in now. I will try to get to you as I, as soon as I can. Uh, as I began to mention out of Georgia, the other story, the special grand jury in Atlanta that has been investigating whether then-President Donald Trump and his allies committed crimes in their efforts to strong-arm state election officials into overturning the results of his 2020 election loss in Georgia. Well, that special grand jury has apparently now finished its work. That, according to a state judge's order today, bringing the case, well, one step closer to possible criminal charges against Donald Trump and others. Fulton County Superior Court Judge Robert McBurney, who was overseeing the special grand jury, issued a two-page order today dissolving the special grand jury, saying it had completed its work and has submitted its final report. The lengthy investigation has been one of several around the country that threatened legal peril for Trump, reports AP today. The decision whether to seek an indictment from a regular grand jury will now be up to Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. In Georgia, a special grand jury is convened to investigate a crime and to make recommendations as to whether indictments should be brought. Only a special, only a regular grand jury can actually issue those indictments, as I understand state law in Georgia. Judge McBurney wrote in his order that the special grand jury recommended that its report on all of this be made public. Sounds like a good idea to me. He scheduled a hearing to determine whether it will be made public for January 24 to determine whether all or parts of it should be released and said the district attorney's office and news outlets, interestingly enough, would be able to make their arguments. They would be given an opportunity to make arguments uh, about whether this report should be released publicly at that hearing on January 24. Mark it down. Since uh, June, the special grand jury has heard testimony from dozens of witnesses in what is thought to now be a conspiracy investigation, which could result in as much as 20-year sentences for the conspirators for state crimes that cannot be pardoned by a U.S. president who can only issue pardons or clemency for federal crimes. Oh, yes, Brad, but what about the governor of Georgia? He's a Republican. He could uh, pardon Donald Trump if Donald Trump or anyone else is charged in Georgia. Well, no, he couldn't. As it turns out, the way uh, Georgia law is written, actually, I think the Georgia Constitution, the governor in the state does not have the power to pardon. So there's that in Georgia. Among the witnesses and or targets that were interviewed by the special grand jury, many of them were close Trump associates like Rudy Giuliani, like Senator Lindsey Graham. Last month, the bipartisan select House committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attacked, uh, attack asserted in its own final report that Trump criminally engaged in a, quote, multi-part conspiracy to overturn the lawful results of the 2020 presidential election. This was one of those parts in that multi-part conspiracy, at least as far as I can tell. Willis opened her investigation in Georgia back in early 2021, right after the recording surfaced of that January 2 2021 phone call between Donald Trump and Brad Raffensperger was made public. During that call, the president was heard strong arming the state's top election official to, quote, find the votes needed to overturn his loss in the state. I just want to find uh, 
11,780 votes, which is one more than we have. I only need 11,000 votes. Fellas, I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. You know what they did and you're not reporting it. That's a, you know, that's a criminal, that's a criminal offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, Since then, it has become clear that Willis in Fulton County, Georgia, has been focusing on several different aspects of this broad conspiracy looking at phone calls made to Georgia officials by Trump and his allies, false statements made by Trump associates before Georgia's uh, legislative committee, uh, a panel of 16 Republicans who signed fake certificates in Georgia as well, falsely claiming that Trump had won the state and that they were the state's, quote, duly elected and qualified electors. She was looking at the abrupt resignation of the U.S. attorney in Atlanta in January of 2021, who suddenly quit out of nowhere. And, of course, the alleged attempts to pressure a Fulton County election worker, not to mention the breach of election equipment in a rural South Georgia county. That would be Coffee County and a story that we originally broke on this air with audio tape from the uh, evidence that a group of Republicans had secretly gained access to the voting systems in Coffee County, Georgia, as first broadcast on this program, on the broadcast, when our frequent guest Marilyn Marks of the Coalition of Good Governance, who is suing the state over the vulnerable voting systems there, she shared the audio from that phone call that she received in which the caller, an Atlanta businessman by the name of Scott Hall, admitted to getting that unlawful access to that voting equipment. You know, I'm the guy that chartered the jet to go down to Coffee County to have them inspect all of those computers. I went down there, we scanned every freaking ballot, and they scanned all the equipment, imaged all the hard drives. They imaged the hard drives? Yes. How in the world did you get permission to do that? We basically had the entire elections committee there. Okay, and they said, we give you permission. Go for it. Okay, then. Uh, So that is among the things that the special grand jury was investigating. They have now wrapped up their uh, work in Georgia. They have written their report. They have given it to the district attorney there. The only question, well, lots of questions, one of which is, will that report be released publicly? And will Fonnie Willis take action on it to begin to indict any of these people? Uh, in her original letter asking to uh, asking a judge to impanel the special grand jury, she wrote that her office had received information indicating a, quote, reasonable prob- probability that Georgia's 2020 election, including the presidential race, quote, was subject to possible criminal disruptions. Her request, of course, was granted and the special grand jury was seated in May of 22 including uh, 23 jurors and three alternates with the power to subpoena witnesses. So uh, is this it? Are we finally uh, on the verge of criminal charges in this matter? Uh, At least after the hearing at the end of this month, 818-985-5735 is our phone number. Let me go to Dion in Los Angeles. Hey, Dion, welcome to the broadcast. Thank you so much. You know, like your song says, clowns to the left and jokers to the right. And yet, these people... 
people are criminals. I, I want them to be tried. I don't want to see people who try to overturn the election just walk off into the sunset and happy as larks and, and sitting in our government. It's disrespectful to the American people, but I feel like the Capitol Police, I am with them completely. I think the Americans should stand with them and let those people know we want them to be tried. We want them to be out. And that fraudulent guy, you know, the fraud from, what, New York? Which one? He needs to be out, too. Oh, uh, George the guy that George lied about everything about yes. himself. Yes. And now he's up in office. I mean, what is it? Are we like a joke to these people? Yes. I mean, I actually, I think about. I think that the rule of law is a joke to these people. I think democracy is a joke to these people. Did you notice how fast, since you mentioned George Santos, he's a, the liar from New York, has yeah, made up everything about his life, and his he's resume. he's downplaying. He's downplaying it, even though he completely got in as a yeah. fraud. And you see what's happening in Brazil. Yep. And it's almost like Trump just came along and and ran around spreading his little poison to the people who are like him and who think like him. Yep, yep. But no, I know. It's in our face, though. It's in our face that wealthy white men can do what they want yep. to do. Yep. And if you're a black guy in a car, yep. you might get pulled over and shot dead for something very minor. Yep. It's really bothering me. It and I really should. love yourself. Oh, thank you, Dion. You're you're very kind to say that. You should be bothered by it. What I started to say was that George Santos, did you notice, I don't know if you were watching on C-SPAN uh, last week and uh, on Friday, that throughout the week, first he, uh, George Santos was sitting alone. Nobody was talking to him. By the end of the week, he was literally uh, sitting right next to Matt Gates, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert. So over just a week, he sort of sidled his way into the uh, far, far, far wingnut extremist party and they welcomed they really, him with open really arms. A strange group of people. They're absolutely a strange group of people. And you know, I've got good friends in Colorado. I'm like, what 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 is wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong? That they well, you know yeah. what? Nothing's wrong with the people in Colorado. In fact, because uh, you're talking about Lauren Boebert, she only won by about five hundred votes after the recount. She claimed that, well, I was so close. Now I'm gonna spend more time listening to the uh, American people and the voters. And then she turns around and, and uh, do, does what she does as far as uh, holding the house hostage for the past week. Dion, I really appreciate your call. Good uh, to hear from you. Happy New Year's. Uh, please, uh, please. I want to let you know, I'm not being kind when I tell you I love your show. I love it because I like to listen to intelligent people. I need to listen to intelligent oh. people. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dion. I, I really do appreciate that. 818-985-5735. See, now I'm all embarrassed. Uh, do we go to a call or do we go to a break? We have to go to Let's go to uh, Margo in East L.A. Hey, Margo, welcome to the broadcast. Well, thank you, Brad. Welcome back. Thank you. I'd love to say You're it's welcome. good to be back, but, you know, anyway. There's a lot of trouble going on. Yeah. And I was advised by another radio programmer to call the White House mm. and to tell them, Mr. Biden, that he really needs to make sure that the heart of justice you know, prosecutes and punishes all the different perps of all the January 6th stuff to the full extent of the law. Well, but when I tried the number, yeah. I found that it is still carrying on the schedule of the TP regime that hasn't been restored to where it used to be available all day, several days a week. Really? Nine to five there. In, volunteer nice women would answer. Well, when I was there in 1991, 
as protesting the invasion of Iraq, whatever, whatever it was, I called every single day, and they would take the messages. And one day, I even heard the president at that time saying something about what I had said. Mm. So there's got to be some accessibility to the White House comments line. But I know people can send emails, but I don't choose to do that. But maybe we could find a way to connect with Biden to make him get back to the functioning like. Well, well, let me say one thing. I'm only cutting you off because I'm coming up to the top of the hour, Marco. Uh, One, uh, you know, in truth, we don't want the president of the United States to be haranguing the Department of Justice about bringing charges. That, in my opinion, it doesn't mean you can't do that or that other people disagree. Uh, but I kind of want the White House to stay out of that and let the Justice Department do their work. That said, just to give uh, folks uh, the White House switchboard number, does is this the, the right uh, number? Yes, this is the correct number. And I did call it off the air and they are there. They are answering. So if you do wish to call the White House, they'd love to hear from you, I'm sure. A very nice young man spoke to me and said, yes, this is still working and it's accurate. 202 456 one four one four. So again, White House uh-huh. switchboard two o two four five six one four one four. Thanks for the call, Margo. Happy happy okay. happy New Year to you. All right, bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Uh, and do we have time just for the quickest of uh, responses from our old friend Mo? Hey Mo in Long Beach. Happy New Year, my friend. Happy New Year to you, Brad, and the family. Listen, you notice how the federal government and none of the institutions are coming after Donald Trump, is taking these state institutions to do it. It's a blessing when you got top-secret documents in your possession, ain't it, Bradley? Talk to you later. Thank you, Mo. we got to get Mo a better phone line. I have always have trouble hearing him these days. Maybe it's just me. Anyway, thanks, Mo. Thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen. Thanks to our board operator today, Gary Baca, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it for free anytime at Bradblog. You can also drop me email. I am Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And you'll find me on the Facebooks, the Twitters, and the Mastodons at The Brad Blog. See you there until we see you here. Hopefully tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Major corporations now own over 80% of all media in the United States, but they don't control us. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Your support helps us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations across the country. You can make a real difference by supporting independent media. This country ain't going to save itself, but we can all do it together. Join us at Bradblog dot com slash donate that's bradblog.com slash donate and thanks i'm rick smith and this is labor history in two on this day in labor history the year was 1916 that was the day of the youngstown massacre it was world war one and the demand for steel in war production had skyrocketed steel workers at republic steel went on strike in late december of 1915 to to demand a wage hike and overtime pay They also wanted a decrease in the work week to 48 hours and improved safety conditions. Workers at the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company soon followed. 
the number of striking workers grew to well over 13,000. It was on this day that some 6,000 strikers, their wives and children, gathered at the bridge across from the gate at the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company, intent on stopping scabs from entering the plant. Guards at the mill left company property to confront the strikers at the bridge and began attacking them with tear gas and live ammunition. The upheaval would soon spread to the business district of East Youngstown. By the time the dust settled the next morning, several blocks of businesses were destroyed. While at least three strikers lay dead, another 30 were seriously injured at the hands of the company hired guns. National Guard troops were called in to quell the disturbances. A grand jury convened to determine the cause of the disorder. They ruled that over 100 companies were in violation of the state's Valentine Antitrust Act and conspired to keep wages down in the steel industry. They held the actions of the Youngstown Sheet and Tube Company primarily responsible for the death and destruction that reigned over the city. The strikers won an immediate 10% wage increase and better company housing. But the courts dismissed the grand jury's findings. It would be decades before the industry was finally able to unionize. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at laborhistoryin2.